W233AH Monticello. Welcome to the local edition on Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday evening, Patricio Robayo. It's Friday. We made it. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me. Hope you are doing well and safe and surviving. Before we get into tonight's program, let's take a quick look at the weather. It's currently 40, 41 degrees outside. Mostly cloudy tonight with a low around 33 degrees. Saturday, mostly cloudy with a high near 43. And on Saturday night, a chance of rain and snow between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. And then snow likely, likely, and it will be cloudy with a low around 32. On Sunday, snow before 7 a.m., then snow possibly mixed with rain, high near 34. And on Sunday night, snow likely possibly mixed with rain, becoming all snow, after 10 p.m. So stay tuned to Radio Catskill on air or check our website for school closings, library closings, organizations closing. In the second half of the show, we'll have a conversation with the Regional Plan Association. They recently published a report highlighting the potential adverse effects of highway widening projects such as the ongoing one on State Route 17. But before we delve into that topic, it's Friday on the Local Edition. And every Friday, we catch up with the one and only Chris Rowley from the Schwankok Journal. Chris, welcome back to the show. Um, let's talk uh, Ellenville. Uh, Ellenville has a new mayor, uh, but they're currently grappling with a huge deficit. This is something that uh, you brought to light to us, it brought to our attention last week. Um, what is the latest on this? Right now, we're looking at maybe half a million to a million more money is required than they have, and they have a real severe cash flow problem right now. Ellenville is looking to have a referendum, and it has to be a mandatory referendum, to pull some of what's left of the mountain money out and use that to staunch the, staunch the, the wound here on their accounts. Anyway, they're thinking about maybe taking 500000 from the mountain money. And so they had a public hearing at the village board meeting on Monday, and it was a very well-attended board meeting. I go to all of them, and I say, I've got to say, I've never seen the place quite that full. And it was standing room only at the back. And anyway, there were a lot of, there was a degree of anger. There's uh, the sense that the village administration uh, has been incompetent or hasn't done what they should have done. But uh, the village administration basically says, look, we're tied to an income of $3.1 million, and it is not reasonable to try to run this village on that little amount of money. And the reason they're tied to that is that is the taxable limit set by the state controller's office for the village. Now, villages come under different rules from towns. So that's the first first thing there. And, and the villages are can have this issue that the state controller's office actually tells them just how much they can tax their inhabitants. 
with that limit, which they don't even get, because this week in the Shangam Journal, we have two full pages of tax delinquents who haven't paid their village taxes, although I believe being published in the Shangam Journal that way drives quite a few of them to pay as quickly as possible because it's embarrassing. And many maybe just have just overlooked it. I suppose you could, but I can't. But yeah, <laughs> I'm in the town of Woolworths. But anyway, so that's happening. And they chewed it all over. They went back and forth about it. And the new mayor, Evan Trench, who picked this up as the first order of business, having become the new mayor, just basically told people that he doesn't want to be the gatekeeper on this kind of stuff. He wants open, transparent, totally transparent kind of governance. And he wants the people to be involved, which is why they want to have a public hearing. So the board voted to have a public hearing, which will be held on February 26th at that meeting. Not the next village board meeting, but the second one in February. Uh, because it has to be a 30-day thing between the announcement and then having the public hearing. When they've had that public hearing, if, if they go further, they'll go to a, a mandatory referendum and they'll give everybody in the village a chance to vote on whether or not to take some money out of uh, the mountain money fund. And the mountain money comes from the sale of Allenville's square mile of property up on the Shangha Bridge in 1997 to the o Open Space Institute, and that land is being transported into the park system. Allenville bought it in the late 1890s for about 10 grand. So they made a pretty parcel, pretty penny on that because they got $3.88 million. But anyway, forward back to now. So since this is a real crisis, I'm not quite sure what happens at this point if they don't get permission from the voters to, to have the referendum and oh, no to, to, to take the money out of the mountain money fund. It, it is a very serious issue. They had strange, it's got all strange sort of things added to it. There was a they were hoping that they'd get a $530 million payout from uh, the bankruptcy of the old Neverly, which began in 2009 and concluded in 2017. And they had, I don't know why, had imagined that when the Neverly was bought again by the Somerset Partners Catskill Group, that there would be this half a million plus for the village there, which is from this water bill that the bankrupt old Neverly people never paid and that had rolled up with additions for non-payment to 530 grand but they learned to their horror after the Neverly sale was completed that in 2017 the judge on the bankruptcy of the old Neverly had just tossed it because the old Neverly was not an inside user in the water district they were an outside user and therefore they were not part of the group of those whose claims on the, the old Neverly group were privileged. So out that went, and I don't believe they'll be able to get anything from that. And then the next thing that goes with that, of course, is how come they didn't know? And that's the mystery that we're asking the, the Shangam Journal. And it appears, I've got to investigate this, it appears that the courts don't necessarily have to tell you. And we don't even know, we don't even know really what court it was, although I suspect it was on Long Island, because that's where the gentleman who had the old Neverly business, that's where they were located. So I'm assuming it's down there, and I'm assuming that that particular court either didn't notify the village, or if the, the, the notification got lost somehow. I don't know, but it's, it is troubling that they didn't know.
that blew their budget completely to pieces, and they have this big deficit, and they have to do this mountain money to keep going till June. They've got to get to June. And, of course, they have to ring every bell and shake every leg to try to get uh, some emergency money while they consider how to go forward. The village of Annaville can't really keep doing this. And so there has to be a complete reorganization. Uh, it, it, it could include all sorts of things. I'm told by the village manager that he's getting offers to buy the uh, the Elping Court Tower. It's a five-floor tower. It would make lovely apartments. And maybe they'll sell that and, and move to humbler quarters. There's got to be some serious cuts and reductions. And, of course, and, and unfortunately, the first big question will be, can the village of Almaville afford its own police department? Yeah, that's, and, that's a huge thing because I'm sure that is a big expense and a lot of the towns villages are facing increase in health care. And all that. But before before we go into the the police, just in case if you're just joining us, we're talking to Chris Roldy from the Schwankrock Journal, letting us know what's happening in Ellenville with their large deficit. You know, this we have you have a new mayor now, and I'm sure first thing when you and I have been both to a lot of meetings, and something goes wrong is who they're blame have to blame someone. So are, I didn't really hear. Uh, are they blaming the previous mayor and also the previous administration about uh, how come this was let go or how come this wasn't caught on earlier? Mostly blaming the village manager, uh, Michael Warren. There's some complications there, but, but Michael basically points to uh, and a couple of issues. But how and why the village wasn't aware that they weren't getting this 530 grand is, is, a, is a mystery, a difficult thing to explain. They've had, and we're going to do a story on this, and I'm going to make some phone calls here. They've had a problem getting a treasurer. They had a serious problem with a previous treasurer who retired in 2016, and she used a, a, a software that was from the 90s, a very old software. Nobody has, has used that since. And they replaced that with a software system called Logix, which is a business system. However, in New York, there's so many wrinkles in terms of reporting on various aspects of any municipal budget to New York State, to the controller's office primarily, that there's a special software called AccuFund, which is literally designed for New York municipalities. It's, it's, it's the one to use if you're, if you're a village or a town in New York. But it costs 100 grand. Warren says he's been asking for that particular software for years and finally got it last year. That, that allows them to actually know where they are because with uh, Logic State, they couldn't work it out. And he's not been able to hire and keep a, a treasurer. They have a deputy treasurer, but that's not the same. They need a treasurer. Treasurers get around 100 grand. That's the salary level. It's a good job. If, hey, if you're good at numbers, young people, consider. Anyway, that's the. And Ellenville hasn't been able to really afford that. They're desperately searching for somebody who will do that for them, although they don't really have the money. And they've been through, I think, four. Now the village has to find some way to cut the police costs down enormously somehow, do without police possibly, which won't be popular, but maybe they have to. And in that case, can they be replaced by the sheriffs? Can, who, who would come in, step in to do that? Without the police, their budget would be reasonable. They could do it. Uh, they would be back to being able to do everything without any grief. 
But that would be that's a, that's a big stroke. That's a hard rock to swallow. That one. We'll see. Talking to Chris Rowley from the Chicago Journal. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the program. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay. Yes. And of course, this is a continuing story, and we may be back with more details about it uh, in future. I know we will be because it's it's not going away. Stay tuned. We'll be right back to discuss whether transforming Route 17 into a three-lane highway is a good idea. There goes the last DJ who plays what he wants to play. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, there is a lot of misconduct among academic researchers, even fraud. Can it be stopped? Identifying the problem is not the same thing as changing our practices. And how does scientific fraud become big business? Publishers earn more from publishing more. It's a volume play. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Catskill. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to The Local Edition. On Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. The New York State Department of Transportation, Governor Kathy Hochul, is putting forward a $1 billion expansion plan. This project aims to widen a 30-mile stretch of Route 17 in Sullivan County and Orange County. Governor Hochul said a project like this will enhance tourism and economic competitiveness and quality of life for residents and visitors. Recently, the Regional Plan Association released a report stating the potential and negative impacts of highway widening projects. The report challenges the assumption that widening highways offers a multitude of benefits, arguing that the projects may not effectively solve congestion and transportation problems. On the program with us now is Dr. Rachel Weinberger, who is a Peter W. Herman Chair for Transportation at Regional Plan Association, and she has over 30 years of transportation planning experience in the public and private sectors and academia. Welcome to the program, Dr. Weinberger. Thanks, Patricio. It's wonderful to be here. So I gave a brief overview of what has actually happened in our area. Is that a good way to present it, that the state is having this plan to widen the roads in Route 17 in our area in Sullivan Orange Counties to help with the congestion that happens, especially during the summer months? and to drive economic business up here to our area. That's the idea behind the project. And I think that's based on some ideas about transportation that may no longer apply, particularly in New York State. Right. In your report, you talked about something called induced demand. Can you explain what that is and how it affects traffic when the roads are widened? Sure. So if you think about transportation as something that people consume or they're using that's a kind of a consumption, and by, by widening or by trying to address the congestion, you want to make the trip faster. And in essence, when you make a trip faster, that is similar to making it less expensive, right? It doesn't cost as much time. And so when you make something less expensive, generally more people want it, right? Or want to use it or consume it. So that, in that sense, you're inducing more people to come and use. So you created this new capacity, you made it a faster trip, more people want to do it. So one of the 
one of the mistakes I think that, that transportation engineers have made o- over the past century, and I am a transportation engineer, so it's my own field that I'm indicting, is we don't properly account for that induced traffic, right? We assume, and a lot of times too, just the lane person who's driving their car, they're thinking, oh, if they just added another lane, all this traffic would evaporate. But that assumes that it would be the same number of vehicles, the same number of people and vehicles traveling at that same time. It fails to consider the fact that you've made it cheaper, so you brought more people into the fold. So that's the idea of induced demand. Right. There's wider roads. More people can come up here and sort of worsening the problem that we saw trying to solve a little bit with the congestion. The thing I hear most about with the congestion is that idling cars and that will bring more pollution to the area. That's right. And the other thing that happens is even if you don't get a lot more cars over the course of a 24 hour period, let's say if right now it's congested for an hour and you make it wider, then those people at the extremes of the hour are going to condense into the more popular part. A lot of stuff, everybody I know says, oh, I'm not going to go at that time because there's too much traffic. I'll go a little bit later or I'm leaving early to beat the traffic. But now you've made it the same travel speed as earlier, so I'm going to go later. So you might, even if you do wind up with just the same number of travelers in any case over a 24-hour period, now you've crunched them into a shorter congested period. And so you still have the same number of vehicles idling for the same period of time. So maybe just go back a little bit here. Tell folks, what is the Regional Plan Association and how did this particular study come about? So Regional Plan Association is, we're in our 101st year, so we're a 101-year-old progressive era good government organization, right? We're an NGO, non-governmental organization, and we look at regional issues. So our region that we look at includes the particular area that, you know, where this expansion would be or this project is, I should say. Let's not assume that it's an expansion. And uh, so essentially we look at transportation, housing, environment, all these kinds of issues, trying to make the the region a better place for all the residents. So because transportation generally is a solid part of our wheelhouse and we look at what the state is spending on transportation projects, we look at projects all around, we found this was in our on our radar, and a lot of the reason for the report was to try to bring a little bit more light to the issue, not so much heat, because it's easy for people to argue and bicker and say, well, you know, yes, it is, no, it's not. So we bring a research orientation, and we want to explore some of the issues and try to explain them in a way that helps move this conversation along and allows people to understand that there are potentially alternatives. Right. And currently, from what I understand, is the expansion project plan is in the environmental impact studies stage. But I do notice that there is work being done already in some parts of 17 of what I think is happening is because of this. Perfect example is exit 105 here on 17 in our area has been changed completely to to build it up to interstate highway regulations. Standards. I think there are separate projects. Some of the intersection projects may be programmed separately. I don't actually know the exact detail on all of those things. But one of the things that I think is worth mentioning in this particular case is what we see is that there is some congestion some of the time in some parts of the corridor. And I understand that is frustrating, especially to people who have been living there for a long time. Also for people who are just moving there, right? You thought, oh, this is a great place, no traffic, easy to get there. And then it's you and everybody else had the same idea. And all of a sudden it's a whole different story. But when you have, but 
as I said, some congestion, some parts, some of the time. It turns out by New York State DOT's own estimates, it is all, it's congested about 2% of the time in only particular areas. So some of these projects that you're talking about, particularly intersections, particularly exits, that's where you see the worst problems. And if you have congestion 2% of the time on a three or four mile portion, does it really make sense to add that much additional capacity in the entire corridor? And that's really the question. So can some of these other projects, some intersection improvements as you've seen happening, do those address the issue? You also do wind up with the same induced demand problem that we just discussed, even when you're just fixing or trying to address that, those intersections. But still, it's a little bit of a lighter touch and would be a more appropriate way to proceed. Right. The report suggests that other ways to fix the traffic without making roads wider. Can you go give us some details about that, of how are you making traffic better without making the roads bigger? I wouldn't say you're going to make traffic better as the starting point, but you might make travel better, right? So one idea is you could make traffic better just by doing those intersection improvements, right? But you could make travel better by doing a different land use configuration. So the thing about roads in low-density areas is roads are perfectly suited to low density. But as you have increasing density, especially as you have just summer communities increasing density there, then you want to rethink the pairing, right? Transportation and land use always work together, right? There's an important relationship there. And so when you have a very low density context, then road is the best way to serve travel needs in that. When you start getting increasing density, more people are coming, the area is more popular, then you want to create a way, not necessarily transit, because a bus needs a lot of people to operate. But if you get people living closer together, they can walk to the grocery store. They can walk to the concert venues. They can walk to the picnic area. They can walk to the trailheads. What are the reasons people are coming to that area? To enjoy the natural beauty, right? To enjoy, I don't know, there's a auction house up there I used to go to, right? So to enjoy some of these other kinds of amenities, which you can, and you want to access them in different ways. So if every single trip you have has to get on the highway, then you're going to see increasing, ever increasing traffic, right? So if it's always to go to the big box store, then you're going to always have to get on the highway. That's going to be the only way. You're locking yourself into that kind of a land use pattern. If instead you focus your economic development strategies in Liberty or in some of the other cities that you've got, then people who live there can walk to something or they can drive a local road, or they can bike or use some other way of getting around. And so you don't have every single trip moving onto the highway, getting off at the next exit, and so forth. So you can get the same transportation or the same travel, right? You meet by which I mean, you get to the thing that you're going to do, right? By some other means. And so that way you have a natural traffic reduction. The one thing, because I've been to a couple of these, these, uh, press conferences for the expansion of Route 17. I've been to, I remember three years ago, I went to one in Middletown. They got a, a, together a, a whole bunch of town supervisors and village mayors for, for this project. And there was another one recently, maybe a year ago in Middletown at the Middletown, at the Galleria Mall in the parking lot, which was a huge press conference where a lot of uh, union workers were there, a lot of uh, business owners were there and talking about the economic growth that upgrading the highway will bring. One thing your report mentions is the questions, you question 
whether making the roads wider really helps the economy and why investing in public transportation might be a better economic choice for our area. So construction jobs for highway building are good jobs until the project is done. And then they evaporate. There's no more job. If you think about if you're focusing development in the town centers, then you might have a shuttle to get from town center to town center. And once you arrive there, you're going to walk around and relax and enjoy yourself. So you'll get more people and fewer vehicles in that regard. So if you're doing public transit jobs, you're paying drivers, you're paying mechanics, you're keeping all of that. You've got administrative jobs. You're keeping those jobs in the local economy. Those are salaries. Those people then are spending money in the restaurants or again at the grocery store, the hair salon, right? So you're circulating that money within the local economy. And you're, so that's how you're keeping the money local. You built that road. And now instead of money going into the local economy, the jobs are gone. People are buying cars. Money's going to Germany, Japan, other states in the U.S. They're buying gasoline. Money's leaving. That's all money going out of the economy, the local economy, instead of having jobs that are in, that are there. And those construction jobs, you want, you, there's lots of other ways to fill those construction jobs, right? I'll bet the schools need some repairing. I'll bet the firehouse could get rebuilt. I'll bet their sidewalks could use repairing in a lot of places. So if you took that money and invested it still in infrastructure and had those good construction jobs, at the end of the day, you'd have a nicer place to live. And I don't know anybody who said, please widen the highway right in front of my house. That is not a nicer place to live. It's worse for the wildlife. There's more runoff. It's bad for nature. There's all kinds of reasons why that is not better. At the end of spending a million dollars, where where do you want to live? I'd rather live where my local street is smooth and well-paved, where my sidewalks are not cracked. So invest in the aging infrastructure that many towns and villages have. And instead of giving those dollars outside to temporary jobs, construction jobs uh, that may come from projects like this. So how can these people be more involved in deciding how roads are built in neighborhoods? What can communities do if they don't, if they agree with you and say, Hey, I don't want my road to be expanded. I think one thing is to, is to find out more about what these dynamics are, right? Read our report. I'll always say that read our report, learn about how these things work. Because also, again, a lot of times, as I was saying at the beginning, a lot of times people think, oh, if you just widen the highway, then it will be so much easier without thinking about that it actually has these a whole network of other implications. So talk to your neighbor. Make sure your neighbor understands what the issues are, right? And then talk to your local electeds. Electeds are very powerful. The state DOT wants to hear from electeds, right? So talk to the Chamber of Commerce. Talk to the economic development organizations. Let them know what you think. Let them know that there's a different way to think about it. It's interesting you talked about press conferences about the project. There probably have been some press conferences, but also I think a lot of the meetings are to get the community involved, to get the community input, right? And so the people who go to those meetings are the people who are already plugged in. They've got some reason that they're paying attention. So everybody else needs to get the DOT does distribute information. In theory, everybody should know about it, but I don't know about you. I'm not paying attention to every piece of mail that comes in to my mailbox or comes into my email. And a lot of times I don't know what's going on. I'm paid to pay attention to these kinds of things. But if the question interests you, then find ways to get plugged in. The project has a website. Comments will be taken. But more important than giving those kinds of comments really is 
to get actively involved with the local mayors, the local councils, right to the governor. There's all sorts of ways to get involved in these kind of questions. Right. Dr. Weinberger, before we end this conversation, uh, is there anything else I have not touched on do you want folks to know about either uh, the organization or the report? The only thing I'd say, Patricio, is, you know, I, it's a lovely part of the country. It's a, it's absolutely beautiful. I went to camp in Liberty, right? My grandparents had a hotel in Livingston Manor. I almost bought a, bought that property when it was for sale about 30, 35 years ago. And it's wonderful to share it also with everybody, but to do it in a way that is sustainable, that doesn't detract. As you were talking about that before, it's more people come and natural resources don't get used up unless you use them up. So that beautiful view of the valley, it's not taken away from me by you also looking at it. That's really the definition of a public good, right? It's like, there it is for everybody to enjoy. But if we pave it over, if we keep with the greenhouse gas emissions, that's the way that we're going to run it down. So if you want a sustainable future, you want to preserve that beauty, and you want to share that beauty, then then we want to think about how are we going to do this in a forward-looking way rather than doing the same thing that for the past 100 years we, we have evidence it has failed and failed, and there's almost no evidence of any place where that has been a successful solution to a congestion problem. I was talking to Dr. Rachel Weinberger, the chair for the transportation at Regional Planning Association, talking about a recent report that was released stating the potential negative impacts on a highway widening project like the Route 17 project that's happening in our area. Thank you so much, Dr. Weinberger, for joining us on the program. I do really appreciate it. A pleasure being here, Patricio. Thanks so much. And that does it for the local edition. Thank you so much for joining us. Check out our website, wjffradio.org. We actually have this interview on the website now on YouTube. You can see us talking to each other. Part of the social media, WJFF Radio Catskill, Facebook, Instagram. We're there. Monday, we'll talk to Nancy Buck. Have a good night, Lucy. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>